another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But any time Reformation happens, it is always messy. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. We want to keep saying thanks to all of you who are faithfully listening each week and faithfully sharing our content. Keep up the good work. It's helping so much. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode where we have a conversation with Aaron Vriesman. So, uh, Aaron, why don't you kick us off and uh, tell us a little bit about where you're at and uh, the church you're in. Well, I'm... uh... I serve at North Blendon Christian Reformed Church, which is in West Michigan, right between Hudsonville, Allendale, and Zeeland. Um, we're kind of in a no man's land here. We have a Hudsonville address, an Allendale phone number, and we are in Zeeland School District. So either everybody wants us or nobody wants us, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> yeah. um, I've served here. Uh, I started here right out of seminary, and I've been here 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So it, so I don't know Michigan geography super well. So is that more rural or suburban or what would you describe it as? We're right between Grand Rapids and Holland. And this is a, I'd call it a growing area. Um, The, the people who've been around here for a long time are, are farmers, dairy farmers and things like that. There's still a lot of land. But there is a lot of building going around up around here. Um, the township, when I first came, they had certain ordinances against subdivisions. And now I'm seeing subdivisions going up mm. all over. Um, this is kind of the place to, to build a house if you work in Grand Rapids or Holland, but you, you want more space. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a really growing area. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I just read an article, and I don't remember where I read it from. I just read it while I was traveling this weekend, um, talking about how now uh, millennials, this next generation, they're actually moving out of the cities. And so I thought it was kind of an interesting, um, you know, it was what, 10, 15 years ago, Tim Keller wrote, we need to be moving our churches into the cities because that's where everybody's going. Yeah. And now now they're writing articles. Nope. Now people are moving out of the cities. They're kind of moving, it seems like, to a 20 to 30 minutes out of the cities, right? So they can commute in, but then get out on the weekends and nights. And and one of the interesting things I saw as I traveled, I had to go to Minnesota for a couple of days, and I saw massive apartment complexes being built outside of the cities about 15 to 20 minutes outside of the cities in all directions of the Twin Cities area. There's big apartment complexes are being built. And I thought, well, that seems to fit uh, the article that I just read. And now 
listening to you too, you're seeing that out there in Michigan as well. I'm seeing that here. Yeah. The I, ironic thing is that I, I really like the city. Um, I, I visited New York and Chicago, New York, a bunch of times. And I, I I'm just drawn to that. The, the, uh, the activity, the, the energy, the diversity, the, um, it just, it, it seems like you can find anyone from any kind of background there. Um, but, uh, I, I love the people here that, that is, that is really why I stay. Um, it's a solid group of people and we are on the same page when it comes to, um, when it comes to, to theology and moral positions. So I, I'm going to keep serving here until God calls me somewhere else. I'm not itching to leave. So, yep. Oh, very good. Um, Aaron, I got a, a quick couple questions for you. Um, yeah. You said you've been, been at your church in the CRC for about 15 years, right? Yep. And you, uh, you attended Calvin Seminary, is that correct? I got my MDiv from Western Seminary in Holland, the RCA Seminary. And then I okay. did the, what is sometimes called the year of penance at Calvin's seminary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I was going to ask about uh, your experience at uh, Calvin, but now I want to ask also about your experience at uh, Western Seminary. What were, what were those years like for you? So um, they were, they were emotionally challenging. Well, maybe I'll put it that way. Um, it was it was uh, the place basically where I discovered reformed theology and realized, okay, I really am reformed. Um, uh, it's because of basically reading Calvin's Institutes. That's kind of where that started. Um, but uh, but there were a lot of I would say I'm not say a lot, but there were some people there who were um, quite on the other end of the theological spectrum than me. And, um, and, uh, it, it, there were some, there were some difficult moments. Um, I learned to keep my head down. I learned to not say certain opinions, certain times, um, talking about my, uh, complementarian views on on ministry I uh it kind of felt like I was coming out of the closet a little bit just because <laughs> the, the environment I was in um so I was selective about that there were some some definitely some moments where it was it was painful um got got laughed at a few times got a hand in my face a couple times and uh, got shunned a couple times by some people. Um, it was, it was, it was challenging, but, um, but I, I went there in part because I wanted to understand how people who disagreed with me thought, um, what made them tick and how to interact with them in, in um, ways that, might actually get somewhere. And so that's one of the reasons why I went there. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I've talked to people about that before, that being a good thing. Um, my undergrad, so my undergrad was 
a little different from that, but I mean, my, I got it um, from Northwestern. Well, at the time it was Bible college in St. Paul, but it's a Baptist fundamentalist, uh, you know, dispensationalist, mostly our, mostly Arminian college, um, which is where (laughs) I got my degree. And so, um, you know, pretty much different than me on most points. And, uh, um, I, I, I started off there after high school because, I mean, this is about as much thought as I put in it. I played football. They wanted me to play football for them. So I went and played football. Um, and then, uh, and then came back later. I did that for a year and that's a long story, but I came back later after I had this theological grounding and just finished up there, uh, because it worked, but it was really good for me, um, to be in that environment. And I had some, I actually had some really good professors who understood um, reformed theology and understood where I was coming from and they could explain it better than me at times. And, uh, and so they pushed me to to understand their position better and, and to go deeper. And uh, so, so that's been really good for me. It it has forced me um, not to um, build a straw man, or, mm-hmm. or, or falsely lay out someone else's opinion, because I know how much that bothered me when they would do that. And so I thought, Absolutely. okay, I need to, I need to work really hard to accurately represent what these people are saying, and then interact with it on that level. Absolutely. No, the straw man arguments, I, I hate them. I'm part of some Facebook theological groups. And Calvinism is despised there and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people's ideas of what the the soteriological system of of Calvinism um is is very warped and and I try to explain it to them but it's there's some people who just want to refuse to to believe the real thing because it's easier to discredit the the caricature you know yeah. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, this week I had a uh, conversation with one of my pastor friends in town. Um, he's part of an e-free church, but we get along really well. And we were sitting down and talking and I had, he said something and I said, wait, are you an Arminian? He said, no, but I'm not a Calvinist either. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> what, uh, what do you believe? And so we started talking about it, talking about scripture. And eventually I said, boy, you, you sound like you're a, a real Calvinist, not a fake Calvinist. <laughs> and he, he laughed because I said, you sound just biblical and, and you're not interacting. You don't want to be characterized by some of these false understandings of, of Calvinism or Arminianism, right? You're trying to land in the middle. But right. I, said, I said, what you just laid out is pretty much what we believe in the Christian Reformed Church regarding God's sovereignty and man's free will and all election. And, and we try to do the dance as biblically as possible and try not to dive off uh, either end of it. But he got a good chuckle out of it anyways. That's good. <laughs> so you, you did your uh, like the EPMC program, or I like the, the year of penance. I, I like yep. that one. Um, so what was how, what? what was your experience kind of contrasting Western with Calvin then? So Calvin seminary was like a breath of fresh air for me. Um, I could use the NIV Bible, uh, which I used at the time. And uh, um, I could, uh, you know, my, my, my views on complementarianism were uh, I, I could, you, you could actually talk about those. 
um, and uh, and not just be you know completely despised for that. Um, I at Calvin, um, that's where I discovered the confessions really too. Um, I remember taking a class with Lyle Birma and and it was a you know it was a short class it was a small class but at at Western Seminary we looked at maybe the Heidelberg Catechism twice Belgian Confession once in the sacraments class Canons of Dort never mm. and uh, just going through the the confessions there I started that's where I started to fall in love with them and realize how how valuable these these are um, for for putting together the whole of what scripture teaches um, and, and to move forward there. So I, my experience at Calvin seminary was actually very, very positive because of, because of that. Um, I had exegesis um, with Wyma and he taught us how to break down a text. And, and uh, I, I had not had that in that way before. So I, I I enjoyed my time at Calvin Seminary, actually. Yeah, that's good. So one of the questions that popped into my head, too. So prior to going to Western Seminary, what, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the RCA then? Or did you grow up in the CRC? Or, or kind of what was your uh, faith growing up then? So I was born in Muskegon. And um, I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. Um. It was, I went to Calvin Church in Muskegon, probably um, more on the left in in terms of CRC, the church in general was, but my family was more on the on the right. I was homeschooled kindergarten through 12th grade, and we had a homeschool group with a lot of different denominations present. So um, that was a little bit more of the spiritual community uh, that, that shaped me. Um, they, they both did, but but, uh, but yeah, for a long time, um, I was functionally a dispensational Arminian because <laughs> of the homeschool groups that we were a part of and the conversations that we had there. And that's just kind of what I was at the time. Um, so, um, so yeah, I grew up CRC, but, um, I never really, I, I never opened uh, the catechism or anything like that. Didn't really understand reform teaching um, my entire time there. So, hmm. yeah, that's uh, yeah, similar to my experience as well. I mean, I didn't grow up in the CRC, you know, from like the cradle, right? I came into the CRC when I was 15. Um, before that was a member of a, a Baptist church. Um, or a non, that's where I came to faith was in a Baptist church. Um, and so, but yeah, I kind of was discipled through the CRC through high school, but I still, I graduated. Yeah. Functioning Arminian dispensationalist. Cause that was just kind of the air of right. All the popular TV preachers. If you turn, you know, you just hear it over and over and you think, yeah. Oh, this must be what it is. And I don't know. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot about that in previous podcasts about what what's going on in our churches where we have these kids graduating out of our churches and don't they don't understand our theology what what do you think that was for you um so the church where i attended was um was maybe a little more moderate to left 
uh, on the CRC spectrum. And so, you know, distinctives of the Reformed faith were not as emphasized, I would say, there. Um, very kind church, very, you know, um, my whole family went there. Um, at least my dad's side of the family went there. Um, but I, um, but the, the distinctives of Reformed teaching were not really talked much about there. I remember in Sunday school, we would talk about, you know, your, your basic Bible stories and, and such. But, um, and we had memory verses and some things that we learned, but, um, but not, not much um, distinctive Reformed teaching, at least not that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like there, uh, there has been um, just an increasing kind of movement of that. And I, I've felt in the CRC to kind of lower the, our distinctive, let's just focus on, you know, they would say, let's just focus on the core, like the, the, and, and, and ignore these reformed distinctives. And yet what I've experienced, I mean, the, obviously we do want to focus on the core. We don't want to focus on the distinctives and, and miss the gospel right. at the, at the core, but but if you ignore kind of the peripheral things as well, it, it can seep in and, and infect the, the core a little bit too, right? And so I, I don't know what that movement, what has caused that movement exactly, but but I've felt it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not really sure. I don't want to speak for my church growing up too much because I was a kid. I didn't really understand much at the time of what was going on or what people were were saying i do remember controversies about um bible or bible studies and adult sunday schools that were starting to teach um evolution and this was in you know the late 80s and i remember my parents not liking that and wanting to push back against it um i remember when when uh, they had their first um, female deacons. Um, and I remember some discussions about that. Um, but I don't remember, I don't remember much, much else. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, I don't really want to speak for, for the church, but, but there are, there are some elements. There's kind of a, an evangelical, what you might call stream in the CRC where it's let's focus on the gospel and, and witnessing and, and worshiping and the core stuff. Um, and then there's kind of a more of a mainline element in the CRC that, that, uh, that, uh, you know, might, I think both of those elements might water down or want to just not focus on the reform distinctives so much. Um, but I've found the reform distinctives to be very, very um, in, encouraging, uh, grounding, and has just given me a lot of peace. Um, and there was a time when I remember thinking, what if, what if I'm not doing enough? What if I'm not obedient enough? Because there were others around me who were kind of in the Amish direction. They were German Baptists and Dunkard Brethren specifically, but they had all of these rules that they followed and practices. And I just remember thinking at one point, what if I'm not, what if at the end you had to do these things in order to get in and, and I'm not doing them. And, and uh, 
you know, reformed teaching would say we are saved entirely by grace, nothing else. And, and so that I, those thoughts don't occur to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to wonder about that. So there's, there's a lot of peace that comes with that. There's a lot of joy and rest that comes with that. And um, I just, I just ride, ride those waves, you know, um, in, mm-hmm. in life. I remember uh, early on in my ministry when I was still kind of wrestling, um, I, I had been convicted of reformed teaching, reformed soteriology, um, but it had, you know, I, I was kind of like, I got to believe this because it's in God's word. I don't quite like it. It hadn't gripped my heart yet. Um, but I remember, so our youth ministry was, um, well, depending on the year, but there were, there was one year anyways, there were like 60% of our ministry um, were unchurched kids. And, uh, and God had been laying it on my heart. I need to, I need to just a real solid, clear gospel message, just call them to repentance. And I remember um, the weight I felt because I hadn't, I, I remember just sitting and just praying and almost and weeping before, as I prepared for that message, thinking, what if I don't do it right? Like, what if I don't say it right? I mean, their lives are in the balance. And if I screw this up, what I mean, and I that weight was on me. And then I was flipping through something. And it, um, I came across a note that reminded me, Oh, God does the saving. Mm-hmm. And exactly. uh, it just, it was this huge weight off of me where I went, okay, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to call them to repentance, call them to turn to Jesus. But that's my role. And the rest of it's on, on God to take it from there. And I I remember feeling a huge peace and I was able to get up and preach with a confidence and a boldness that I hadn't had in a long time, because before that I was so knotted up thinking that I had to do the converting. And uh, I thought, wow, this is so good, right? Those are the moments where I thought, man, how much are we missing out on not grabbing hold of these uh, distinctives? Yes. I, I found, especially when if I'm discussing with Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholics, I've really found the notion that God is our father to be a very um, helpful way to explain Reformed theology. Because if God is our father, that means we are adopted into his family and as adopted children legally we can't even sign our own adoption papers we can't make that decision so god has signed those papers and those are signed in the blood of christ and those are filed away and we are we are his children nothing's going to change that and so now we're we're part of his household and and almost like you know we're we were raised by wolves or just we grew up on the street where we had to lie, cheat and steal in order to survive. And now there's all these rules to follow and God's our father. And Christ is like the, the grown up older brother who's helping us along. And, and, uh, and we still have our old ways that we revert back to. Um, and sometimes maybe we, we get sick of all these rules and we want to leave. And so we try to run away, but, just like human parents, when, when kids run away or are missing, they don't rest until they find them. And, and so God searches us out and brings us back. And, and he basically lays it down for us. All right, you can do this the easy way or the hard way. 
if you want to break all the rules and get all the consequences, all right, that's fine. But you're not going to get rid of me. Um, if you do, if you do follow the rules and you and you do walk in my ways, then it's going to go great for you. Um, but I, but just the notion that God is our Father. If we run away, He's going to come after us. He's not going to let us go. Um, mm -hmm. Human fathers don't do that with their kids. Um, and when we make a mistake, God's not going to kick us to the curb. He's going to maybe discipline us or give us challenges and stuff, but nothing's going to, nothing's going to be to the point where he's going to be like, you know what? I'm sick of you. You're done. Um, so, so that I found has been a, a helpful notion. If you plug into the notion that God is our father, that's a way to bridge into some other theological traditions, or at least I've found so. Amen. Yeah. I, uh, I remember reading that, uh, I don't know, a number of years ago, I read uh, Todd Billings book on uh, union with Christ. Mm. And uh, in that too, as he was laying out the doctrine of union with Christ, he thought that adoption metaphor was not only powerful, but I remember him saying in there, I think just in our current cultural situation, that adoption metaphor and God is our father, that's a more, that's a compelling argument. It's people understand it, but also yeah. it kind of tugs at their heart, especially I think with the fatherlessness and the family kind of falling apart, all of that. He said, I think that's, this is a compelling way to help people understand their union with Christ and their adoption. So, so I've been, I think he's right. And so I've been using that language more and more and I can see people nodding their heads along with me as I'm describing it, which is always a good sign. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's winsome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's app, people, people understand the, the, the family ideas, you know, um, even if their family is not the best, they, they kind of understand the concept of what a family should be. Yeah. So, um, and the notion that God is our perfect father who doesn't make mistakes um, and sometimes he gives us things that we don't want or don't like, but we can still trust that he, he knows what he's doing. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he's our father. And so he, he knows a lot more than us. He's gonna, he's not going to let us go. He's going to do what is going to build us up. It might not always seem fair. You know, why do I have to go through this difficult time and not somebody else, but he knows what he's doing and we can trust him. So. Yeah. Amen. That's uh, I, I, I wish I had it memorized, but, but the, the Heidelberg catechism question and answer on what do you mean when you call God, our father is uh, got to be one of my favorite question and answers. And, and I like it at the, the very end I, is what always grabs me because it talks about how God yeah. cares for us. He provides for us, protects us. But then the end, it says, he wants he to, able, he's able he to do, wants because, to do this because yeah. oh, he is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Amen. Yeah. It's my favorite, one of my favorite lines of the, the catechism because it, he's not, it's not like he's a helpless father. Like I am <laughs> who wants to do things, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not omnipotent. I, there's things I want to do that I can't do. He, he wants to do it and he can do it. And so, um, that just frees us up to to trust him with uh, all of our life. It's it's really yeah. powerful. I trust him so much. I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. 
and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world is the part that comes right before that amen that's and, right uh, i i agree that is one of the more powerful moments of the of the catechism praise god well, I want to jump off of that and start talking about, uh, we've talked about a little bit of our concerns and strengths, but I want to dive just a little more directly into some of the strengths of the CRC. So you're, you've grown up in the CRC, um, yes. but, but you're also, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're also like a student of CRC history, right? You love to read um, how we got to where we're at. I, so I, I do. I'm a, I'm a history nerd in general. <laughs> um, if you wanted to understand the full level of the nerdiness here, um, whenever I read on history, CRC history or, or otherwise, um, and, uh, they have dates, I have collected everything that has happened into a massive timeline and with all of, with everything footnoted so I can find it again. And I've got this big timeline of CRC history going back before CRCNA, back to 1834 and the um, even to Martin Luther and other things like that. Um, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I find that, you know, the people that we are today, how we think and how we live is all shaped by things that have happened in the past. Amen. So um, it's very, it's very telling and it, it really helps me get a grasp on where we are today. So yeah, I'm, I'm a CRC history or just a general history nerd, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think, and uh, one of the, uh, one of the times we, you and I had talked recently, I, I confessed my, my CRC history nerdiness because I, on vacation, read the letters of Gerhardus Voss, right? On vacation. Yeah. That was my vacation reading and everybody. Yeah, laughed, I remember but, you saying that. <laughs> but I, but I don't have a, a whole timeline yet. So you, I think you've one up to me a little bit. Um, but, but that's a helpful, it's a helpful thing because so when I ask the question, then, you know, what are some of the strengths of the CRC? I'm thinking, you know, what, what have you seen some of those strengths be over the years um, and then what are some of those strengths that you see that we still have? Yeah, um, the CRC has a lot of strengths in uh, in uh, their, their, their beliefs that the CRC in general is a is a people or historically who have said, you know, we are we stand on the Reformed confessions. Um, that was one of the distinctives between Western and Calvin that I noticed that at Calvin, I had, we had to deal with the confessions. I had to take a class on catechism preaching. Um, and uh, there's a book called Divided by a Common Heritage. And uh, the polls between RCA and CRC rank and file um, are very different when it comes to, have you heard of the Heidelberg Catechism? Have you heard of the Canons of Dort? Um, are you familiar with the canons of Dort? Are you familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism and the Apostles' Creed and so forth? That this is very important. So our confessional identity is, is a historic thing in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, I think another distinctive in the Christian Reformed Church is, is the notion that Christ applies to all parts of life and um, which has affected the you know, the whole Christian education movement with the CRC, 
which is why um, Calvin College, now university, has had a, a history of producing some notable scholars, you know, Alan mm-hmm. Flanagan, Nick Walterstorff, Richard Mao. Um, there's, there's others, George Marsden and, and others. Um, but that has, I think, motivated people to, to, uh, serve Christ through learning and living in, in, um, a variety of ways. Um, those are at least a couple of the, of the strengths that, that you can see going back. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Aaron Vriesman. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in and try to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.